I hope that all of you guys coming in have had a, a good and an encouraging week. But I know for our community, it's been, it's been an epic week. Just every morning, waking up to the headlines that this thing is closing and this thing is changing and this person is infected. I was actually preparing the message on Thursday and I was getting little alerts coming up on my laptop and the one that just kind of surprised me the most is this alert that came in that said that, that Tom Hanks and his wife were in the Gold Coast and now in hospital and they have coronavirus. And I'm like, what? Tom Hanks can't, he's invincible. How does that happen? But you know, as this illness spreads around the world, including here in Australia, and you see people scrambling to take sensible precautions. I'm just, I will. I could ask how many of you have been to the shops this weekend and did you enjoy your experience? I've seen footage on TV and I, I kind of want to avoid going, but you know, we do what we have to do. Um, we're so used to everything running smoothly. We're used to efficient systems of government and leaders that speak calm and um, competence and control over situations. We're so used to just rocking up to the supermarket and having everything that we need is there and it's fully stocked. We're not, most of us have never lived through any kind of a, like a food shortage or anything like this before. And so if you've never experienced it and you're experiencing it for the first time, you feel vulnerable. You feel vulnerable. Um, this week I was on, I, a friend of mine on Instagram whose family is serving as missionaries in a remote part of Indonesia. She wrote on, she said, look, I've seen all these photos of America and Australia, people running out of, of toilet paper. He said, well, if that was ever the reason you didn't want to come be a missionary in the developing world, now is your chance. Now's your chance because we don't have TP either. And so come on and be lights for Jesus and but we feel vulnerable in times like this. And some people want to, you know, try to minimize the vo that, that feeling because we don't like it. We don't like feeling vulnerable, so we just, we're in denial. And then other people kind of exaggerate the feeling of vulnerability because they're trying to sell us something. You know, but we don't like vulnerability. I think most of us are kind of stuck in the middle, feeling, you know, trying to make decisions about should we take that that holiday or, um, you know, should we send our kids to school? Like how often should we wash our hands and this sort of thing? So if that's been on your mind a lot this week, I, I want to share some good news with you today. Um, today we've been in this series where I've kind of described it as a, like a building project. We, we, we laid the foundation first in the first couple of weeks and I said the foundation is the gospel. It's the foundation of everything we do as a church and as people, it's the foundation of everything we are, of our identity. And so we did that for the first two weeks, and then we, start, we built the four walls. We said because of the gospel, we gather as family. We we're joined to Jesus, and now we're joined to one another the way that your hand is joined to your arm. That's the first wall. The second wall, because of the gospel, we grow into maturity, into the very likeness of Jesus. Third wall, because of the gospel, we've received, now we freely give. We give generously. Fourth wall, because of the gospel, we go to people in places where the gospel is not. And so today, if you like, we're putting the roof on. We're putting the roof on the structure, and then we're going to, you know, have the big reveal at the end. Have the big reveal at the end. And this is the day when you finally get to see why all of this matters and why it is that we are planting a church in the southern suburbs 
of Adelaide. And, and I want to assure you that if you think I'm being overconfident, I want to just assure you that this, the confidence that I have comes from the Word of God in Scripture. It's not something I'm just coming to and arriving at on my own. If you're joining us for the first time today, again, I want to just welcome you to be a part of this. And I want to, you know, I've summarized a little bit where we've been up until this point. Um, and I said, again, this is the, this is the big reveal. Be because of the gospel, because of the foundation, because of what Jesus has done for us in, 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 in coming to be with us, in, in dying for our sins, being raised to life, because of the gospel, we now have purpose. We live and we move and we act with purpose. And that purpose could be summarized in lots of ways, but, but here's a way I'll summarize it for us this morning. The purpose we have is to both behold and to become. To behold and to become. To behold the beauty of Jesus, to see him as he is, and then to become. To become like him and to become a life-size billboard for his glory in this postcode or whatever postcode you happen to live in, to, 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 become, to behold his glory and then to become a reflection or an advertisement or a mirror of that same glory. So as we dive into this text for today from 1 Peter chapter 2, we, I, I want you to see that this is the key to, to why we are here, why we gather, why we do what we do as a church. There's this passage that I read, there's two basic sections and I'm going to make just one basic point in each one. So verses 1 to 8 tell us this. Verses 1 to 8 says basically there are two types of people in the world. There are people who see and people who don't. The seeing and the unseen. Those who see God and savor what they see. And those who cannot see God and stumble over what they can't see. That, that's, that's the point he's making in verses 1 to 8. And then verses 9 to 12, he says that those of us who see, those of us who are beholding God, that we are becoming those life-size billboards. We're becoming those reflections, those mirrors of God's glory for others to see God through us. So let's start with the first part, the two kinds of people in the world. He's writing to a, a group of Christians who are facing huge consequences for their faith. They're not just being unfollowed on Facebook. They're not just being whispered about at work. They're literally being put in chains. And they're being targeted because they're Christians. They're being isolated, outcasts. Not because they might have a sickness, but because they have faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're being rejected. They're being beaten. In some cases, they're being killed. And Peter starts these words to them, verse 1 of chapter 2 that we read. He says, guys, I know you're in, in a hard situation, but, but let me remind you this. Don't be a hater. Don't hate the people that are abusing you. Don't hate the people that are persecuting you. He says all these things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, all these things are the opposite of love. They're the very opposite of the character of Jesus, who you belong to, whose identity is now your identity. He says, you've got to wipe the dust off your old ways. Be who you are in Jesus. But then notice how he tells them to do that, because the how is really important. He's not just saying, be a better version of you. He's not just saying, try harder. 
Here's what he says. He says, you need to replace the desire you have to hate, the desire you have to react, the desire you have to be bitter, to talk angrily about people. You've got to replace that desire with a better desire, with a different desire, a desire for, for the good stuff. We're in this stage of having a baby. We've got a, a nine-month-old, and she's just, in the past couple of months, started to crawl all around the house. Believe it or not, believe it or not, the floors in our house are not always pristine. Like, she picks up stuff off the floor, and, and a lot of times, it goes straight from the floor and into the mouth. And if it doesn't go into the mouth, then it ends up stuck to her hands or stuck to her clothes or whatever. It's lovely. But, you know, these things this, that she's finding on the floor are just scraps, the dirt. Not, there's nothing nutritious, there's nothing good, there's nothing useful about all these scraps, but she'll be, she's covered in them. Until that moment when mom walks into the room. See, because when mom walks into the room and she locks eyes on mom, what happens? All of a sudden she remembers who's got the good stuff. And the scraps on the floor are just scraps. They're just dirt. I, I, she doesn't want that anymore. She just wants mom. And see, Peter here describes us Christians in the very same way. He says, many of us find ourselves in positions where we want the stuff on the floor. We want the pride. We want to be able to lash out to people who mistreat us. We want to exalt ourselves and put others down. We want to, to lust. We, we struggle against these things, these scraps that we see on the floor until until we see the good stuff, the stuff that we've tasted. And he says, guys, I want you, I'm not just telling you to be better. I'm telling you to desire the good stuff. It's not that you want too much. It's that you want too little. And you've got to remember what tastes good. And it's the pure milk of the word, of Jesus himself. That's the good stuff. He's the good stuff. I want to encourage you, if you find yourselves this morning habitually going after those scraps on the floor, to look at Jesus. That's the work that we have. I was reading in my devotion time this morning. It was like the work that we have. The work that we have is not just be better, be better, be good, be good, be good, or you won't get any presents under the tree. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Believe, see, behold the goodness and the glory and the grace of Jesus that he is for you. The rest of your life, that's the work that we have, is to believe that it's true. And then we won't want the scraps anymore. They're not appealing. They're not appetizing. Man, I, I want to encourage you again to get into the word, into the Bible, because that's where we see the good stuff. It's where the sweetness is. That's the pure milk, Peter calls it. It's his words to you and me. If you've tasted that it's, he's good like these folks did that were under such intense pressure, because you see it, you taste it, you're going to run to him. You're going you're to fly to him. You're going to do whatever it takes to get what your soul needs. So the first kind of person is the person who's tasted, the person who sees. And they're not drawn to the scraps. If you're a Christian, then that's who you are. You've seen. You know, because he's opened your eyes. You've been chosen by God to taste. 
no matter what it costs in terms of your relationship with others and the world, but you've been chosen by God to see him and savor him. You, you, you weren't absorbed into some sort of nameless, faceless organization or, or, or into some impersonal force, but you were personally chosen by a personal God who loves you and knows you personally. That's the gospel. And, 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 and Peter says there in verse 5 that you were chosen to do what? You were chosen to offer sacrifices acceptable to God. What sacrifices were you chosen to offer? Sacrifices like a, a, a heart that is humble and filled with joy. A heart that admits and celebrates its own weakness before God. You don't have to puff yourself up. You don't have to hand God your resume and say, look at me. You have to say, God, look at how needy I am. Look at how broken I am. Look at how inconsistent I am. Look at how angry I was this week. And because of Jesus, all of that is forgiven. It's the gospel. The sacrifices that we make, we, we gather with others, reminding ourselves that the gospel isn't just about me. It's, a, it's about us as a family. The sacrifice of growing, of, of putting away the, the scraps and growing into Jesus. The sacrifice of giving generously so that others can see God and savor his goodness too. The sacrifices of going, making disciples. And see, when you've tasted and seen, when you've seen, when you've beheld, these aren't have-tos. These aren't bricks in your backpack that are weighing you down. These are get-tos. This is where the joy is. This is where the good stuff is. It's where satisfaction really is. See, we don't want too little. We, or we won't, don't want too much. We want too little. And then there's the second type of person, and Peter describes this person in verses 7 to 8. And he says, this person cannot see the goodness of God in Jesus. They can't savor and enjoy him. They don't have the palate for him. They, they, they can't be satisfied in him. Instead, he says, they stumble over him. They reject his teaching. They reject his word. There's no joy in it. And there's no freedom. Because people that can't see find freedom in unbridled passions and, and, and lusts. See, that's where, the, that's where the freedom is. Peter's talking about people here who are not Christians. And he's not saying, by the way, that Christians are somehow inferior or unintelligent or unsophisticated. No, he's, he compares Christians, remember, to breastfeeding babies. That's us. Like, these guys might look a lot more mature and, and they might be more mature and, and sophisticated and all that, and, and, and yet they come to Jesus and perhaps because of their sophistication, because of their status in the world, they look at Jesus and say, no. Nah, not interested. I've got what I need. This can't be real. This can't be good. And they stumble, Peter says, because they disobey. Now, whether you believe in predestination or not, I'm not going to go into that this morning. Predestination, this idea that God has chosen before you've been born those who would believe in him and those who would not believe in him. Whether you believe that or not, whether you understand that or not, here's what Peter says. He says there's a one-to-one -one ratio between people who reject God and the people who reject his word. People who reject God himself are those who reject his word, and people who reject his word are the people who reject God himself. They're those who can't see that he's really, really good. That's why they don't obey the word. 
I started out the message today, I, I promised a, a reveal. We've been doing this building project, and we're going to reveal the finished building today. And the, the moment's now here, because up to this point, we've established that there are two kinds of people in the world, those who see and those who can't see. Those who stake their lives on the gospel. Those who, because of the gospel, they gather, they grow, they give and go. But what does this building made up of seeing people have to do with the people who can't see? What's the, what's the relationship? Do we just kind of write those people off? What's the relationship? What is God building and revealing for them? For the unseeing as well as for the seeing. Let's do a slow walk through verse 9. If you've got your Bible open, look at verse 9. starts out with these words, but you, but you. So he's not talking to the people who can't see. He's talking to us. He's talking to the people who can see. You've seen his goodness. You've enjoyed his glory. You've tasted his benefits. You've been forgiven of your sins. You've been justified. You've been reconciled. You've been adopted into his family. You now have hope. You've been shown mercy. You have the blessings of the gospel. You were chosen by the, the God who, who gave a name to every single star in the universe. He's chosen you. He knows your name. You know this. Now, what has he chosen you for? What's he chosen you for? He, he says you are his people, a people for his possession. You belong to him. You're his prize. You're his prize. Why? So that, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So that you might give thanks and glory and honor to him, the one who's rescued you. And as a result, more people will be rescued through you, by him, but through you. And we do that every single day through our words, through our actions, through our attitudes, through our repentance, through our maturing. We are life-size displays, like bigger than 55 inches, where these big billboards on the side of the road displaying and reflecting the goodness and beauty and glory and majesty of God in this postcard. In this postcard. It's amazing. Think about that for a minute. How are you displaying the glory of God? Peter started off chapter 2 with an exhortation. He said it was an exhortation to get rid of the crumbs, the scraps that we've picked up off the floor, the things that we still desire in our flesh. And now in verse 11, he kind of says the same thing. He says, abstain from sinful desires that are waging war against your soul, trying to get you to consume and give in. Instead, he says, remember where the good stuff is. You can be happy because you've tasted the good stuff. You can be happy to be on the receiving end of malice and slander and deceit and injustice because you've tasted the good stuff. When you are satisfied in him and when the, the unseen people around you witness how strange and wonderful and honorable and full of integrity your life is under pressure. That's when that billboard starts to buzz. If you can think of how neon, like the old school neon sounds when it's buzzing. 
That's the sound that your life begins to give off. They notice. People notice, not you, but they notice the God in you when they see your good works. He says here, act in such a way, live in such a way, speak in such a way, so that when the Gentiles, that's the unseeing people, when they see you, they will what? They will glorify God. See, that's the reveal. You are in the building. The walls of the building, the gather, the grow, the give, the go, it's not independent of you. You are the stones in the building. People see the building, they see you, they see us as a family, and when they do, they glorify God, the one who built you, the one who's building and making and shaping you. That's how it works. And this is the reveal. You're it. We, this family is it. We are the reveal in this post. We're the billboard in this postcode. That's really good news for our neighbors. Not because we are perfect. Not because we're pristine. No, but because we know the one who is. That's why it's good news for this community. I skipped over verse 10 before. Let me go back to it. Here's Peter one final time. He says this. Once you were not a people, but now... You are God's people. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We saw before there were two types of people in the world, those who see and those who can't see. But guess what? Those are not fixed categories. The people who don't see don't have to stay not seeing forever. Because there was once a time when you were also unseeing, but now you can see. There was once a time when you didn't have mercy, but now you have mercy by the grace of God. We didn't see God's mercy, just a chasm between his holiness and, and justice and then our, our sinful selves. But then something happened. See, you received a gift. You received a gift, the gift of grace, a gift of undeserved mercy. You saw somebody else's billboard. You saw the glory shining off someone else's face. Jesus didn't die for good people. The Bible tells us he died for the ungood people. And you're more ungood, more blind, more covered in, in filth than you, you'll ever know. And yet, the God who knows you, the God who made you, is more loving. His love is more fiery and passionate for you than you will ever know. God opened your eyes to see the billboard, to see his glory when you tasted for the first time. And if he can do that for you, he can do that for your neighbor. He can do that for your spouse or your child or your parent, your workmate. And he can even do it through you, through us, here in Christie's Beach. We're not the only ones here. Praise God for that. But God has such a love for you. And for this place, that he's doing something new. He's, he's placed us here for this time that others who can't see will one day see. Those who haven't tasted will one day taste. Once those who haven't received mercy now will receive mercy. And God will receive what? All the glory. All the glory. One day all the pain and sadness and blindness of the world will be swallowed up in joy. Isaiah said it this way. He said, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. 
See, that's a verse we can read as Christians at funerals because we have hope. If you're a Christian, you've tasted and seen his sweetness, then remember that it's the sweetness. It's that pure milk of the word that, that makes us into the billboard. Christian preaching, true Christian preaching does not come say, be better, be a billboard, be a good missionary, do better. No, Christian preaching says, behold, fix your eyes on Jesus, and Jesus will make you the reflection, the billboard, the missionary that he's called you to be. That's Christian preaching. None of us in this church are here because we were born seeing. All of us had to see for the very first time. But now you have a place at the table. You have a, a name and a place in the family, so you don't have to be afraid of, of dying because he's rescued you and he holds you in unending love. I want, I want to close kind of our message this morning with some words from one of our sister churches over in Melbourne, a church called City on a Hill. And Guy Mason, who's the preacher there, he wrote this reflection, you know, given what's going on with coronavirus in the world. He wrote this on his Facebook this week. He, but he quotes a bishop called Bishop Dionysus who lived like 1,700 years ago in the, in the third century. And that was obviously long before modern medicine, long before social media. And, he, and here's what Bishop Dionysus says about the Christians, the churches in his day. He says, most of our Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves. By the way, he's writing about a time in history when there was a, a plague, a disease spreading around the empire. Most of them never, uh, were, they, they were thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. And then Guy Mason, reflecting on his words, said this. He says, Christianity, see, is never a club for like-minded people. It's, it's not a tribe for those looking for a comfortable and easy life. Christianity is a movement of sacrifice and grace. We are a city set on a hill. We are that billboard. Now, being that city in this time, in this place, may mean for a while, it, it may not mean running to your neighbors. It may be, you know, keeping 2.5 meters away from your neighbors. That's where wisdom comes in. But it also might mean buying supplies for people in your neighborhood who are sick and, and at home and can't get out. It, it might mean a season, like I mentioned before, of no gatherings for a while. It will definitely mean fervent prayer for our community and for others. It will mean being serious and intentional. To be the billboard, remember, you have to behold. You have to behold. You have to know where the good stuff comes from. You know that he's got it. He's got the good stuff. Just like, you know, I went to Woolworths yesterday and I actually asked, I said, do you have any hand sanitizer? They keep it behind the counter now with the cigarettes because that's how valuable it is. They said, no, I'm sorry, we haven't had it for two weeks. God will never say that to you. He ne his supply never, ever runs out. He is always available. He is always near. If you are in Christ, he is always for you. Run to him. Taste 
see. He'll never run out. He'll never go missing. But don't run empty-handed. Run locking arms with people around you who need to see, who need to taste. We've seen his glory. And there's only more to come. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that we have the privilege of gathering here as people who see, not because we're better, brighter, but because you have seen us. You have come to us. You've given to us freely your only son. How will you not give us everything that we need then? Lord God, help us to see you again today as we, as we take communion together. Help us to remember what you have done for us. Lord, help us to taste and see again and then help us send us out to those in need, those who need to see, those who need to taste. Lord, once we did not have mercy, now we have mercy. Make us people of mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.